trick or treat. Look at you, darling little devils. What are you supposed to be? I'm Millipede Man. He's a superhero. Okay, what are you, dear? I'm Lady Constance Winterfly, the famous explorer who travels the world in her airship, fighting monsters, discovering lost civilizations, and rescuing the weak. She's also a painter and a veterinarian. Oh, I've never heard of that character. I made her up. I like that. Here's one for you, and two for you. How come she gets two? She needs the extra energy for rescuing the weak. How often are expectations perfectly met? We look forward to a picnic in the park, but we didn't imagine the grass would be so dry and prickly. A German restaurant beckons with dark wood decor and elaborate cuckoo clocks, but the ambiance is ruined by the sound system blaring Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> but that Halloween, that Halloween was perfect. Gray clouds floated across a night sky of deep blue, almost purple, occasionally blurring the looming pumpkin-colored moon. The wind blew lightly but noticeably, brushing red, orange, and amber leaves across the neighborhood yards and sidewalks, and causing the twisting branches of nearly bare trees to sway. The first waking gasp of winter, the dying breath of autumn, Halloween. The little girl dressed as Lady Constance Winderflan, but whose real name was Gracie, pushed her pith helmet back farther on her head so it wasn't obstructing her vision, and led her brother, Duncan, aka Millipede Man, off the porch. Well, I guess that's enough for this year. We didn't all the houses on this street. No, we didn't. Well, almost all of them. All but two. Well, nobody lives in the Ashworth estate. They're all, they're all dead. And the other house, that's our last stop for the night. Duncan wanted to protest, but he knew better than to argue with Gracie when she had that look in her eye. She led him past the graveyard attached to the Ashworth estate. There, she led them to the edge of the wrought iron gate marking the perimeter of the next estate. There was a decrepit stone pathway that led through two gnarled black trees and up the front door of a huge manor house. A tiny cupola protruded from the top of the roof. Well, there aren't any lights on. Looks like nobody's home. Good, then let's have an adventure. Gracie, no, let's go home! Gracie didn't argue. Instead, she threw her full bag of candy over the iron gate. Before he could react, Gracie grabbed Duncan's bag and tossed it over the gate as well. Gracie! Now you have a simple choice. We go in or no candy. A tough choice for the boy. Fear of the unknown versus the certainty of the night's activities having been wasted? And there was another unspoken factor to be considered, invoking Gracie's displeasure. In the end, certain loss won out over uncertain danger. Duncan reluctantly agreed they would go in. Come on! Duncan shrugged, gulped nervously, and followed. As he landed, a bright blue light flashed briefly from the windows of the cupola on top of the house as something inside buzzed loudly. Oh look, somebody is at home after all. Or something. The blue light flashed once more, clearly illuminating the eager smile on Gracie's face. My sister, Duncan thought, is a crazy person. 
She grabbed his hand and practically dragged him across the stone walkway and up onto the front porch. A large brass sculpture of an octopus hung on the door. One of its tentacles hung on a hinge for a door knocker. Gracie reached up and knocked three times. Well, no answer. Let's go home. We'll try again. Gracie reached up slowly toward the tentacle handle once more. A blur of blackness shot up on the porch next to them. It stopped and hissed just long enough for them to see it was a cat. Black as night with bright green eyes. It turned and swatted at a tiny door knocker that looked like a jellyfish near the bottom of the door. One of the door's panels slid open. The cat darted inside and the panel slid shut once more. Gracie turned and smiled slyly at her brother. No, Gracie. Well, if they won't give us a treat. No, Gracie. We have to give them a trick. Trick or treat aren't just words that mean nothing, Duncan. It's a social contract. There is no way I'm going in that. Lightning lacerated the night sky, blasting directly into one of the trees in the front yard. The tree almost seemed to wail in pain as it burst into flames. Gracie looked back to the porch just in time to see Duncan's feet disappear as he hurried in through the cot door. Before the panel could slide shut again, she shouted after him. Open the door, Duncan. I'm too big to fit through all the way. The panel slid shut and the door opened. Gracie stepped into the dimly lit foyer of the mysterious house. To her left, a small table holding a bowl. And in the bowl, candy of varieties that were at once enticing and unsettling. Pieces of chocolate carved into shapes of eyeballs and severed fingers and toes. Packages of gummy slugs and, most unsettling of all, Tootsie Rolls. That's strange. So they are planning on giving out candy? Well, that's a relief. Let's just grab a couple and go. But then why is the house so dark? And why didn't anyone answer when I knocked? Maybe they went to bed already. Maybe we should too. Both kids flinched as something made a loud crashing sound up above. They looked up the stairs to see something come tumbling down toward them. It landed at their feet. It looked a little bit like an old-fashioned radio, but something about the arrangement of the dials and knobs and speakers also suggested a head. A metal rod stuck out from the bottom, and raggedy-edged wires sparked out from the rod, giving the whole thing the suggestion of having just been violently torn off of a larger piece. Welcome, living listeners to Well, 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 welcome. This is the VoxBot 5000. Brimble Banks Brothers Electronic Storytime Halloween Special. Now hide under the pet's eye. Welcome, li- listeners. Listen, listen, listen. Help. Help me. Why is everything so dark? Master Jameson? Master Bentley? Weren't we going to tell a nice Halloween story? Wait, who is that? Put that down. Please don't. To the inscrutable Brimble Banks Brothers Electronic Storytime. Welcome. 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 Suddenly the door rattled loudly. Gracie spun, fearing that someone was about to burst in. Instead, it was Duncan, fumbling frantically with the locked door, just desperately attempting to attain egress. Duncan, stop! 
We gotta get out of here. Duncan, stop. Something weird is going on here. I know that, Gracie. Why do you think I want to get out of here? Fine, but I'm staying. So if you want to head out into the dark Halloween night by yourself, past the burning tree, and through the graveyard next door, be my guest. You know, Gracie, sometimes I really hate you. No, you don't. Not completely cold to her brother's trepidation, and in truth, feeling some herself, Gracie took Duncan's hand as she led the way up the creaking wooden stairs. At the top of the stair, a long corridor. At the end of the corridor, a spiral staircase. At the top of the staircase, a faint blue light shone through the entrance to the cupola. Faint voices could be heard from within. Gracie led the way, and Duncan was, at this point, too frightened to even protest. They quickly climbed the stairs and peeked into the cupola. Just inside the door was a long table covered with a white cloth. Gracie pulled Duncan behind her as she crawled under the table. Her brother put his eyes over his hands and huddled in the corner. But Gracie peered out from underneath the cloth. I still don't see why we don't just blow them up. We tried it your way with your bullets and bombs. It didn't work. This time we try it my way. The man's voice belonged to a tall figure dressed entirely in black. A broad blim black fedora and a black masquerade mask topped off his stylish outfit. The woman's voice belonged to a ghost. Translucent, she glowed a pale blue and had the form of a frail old woman with sharp, harsh features and deep wrinkles. Her face and her head were quite clear, but she grew increasingly blurry the farther away you looked from her face. At the bottom of her flowing dress, you could not see feet at all. Gracie thought it would be fairer if ghosts could appear how they had looked at any stage in their life. And maybe that was the way it was. Something about the expression on the old ghost's face suggested she probably felt more like herself as an old bit of hag than she would as a pretty young woman. A real ghost! You know what to do? Yes, yes, we've been over it and over it. I know what to do. Make sure you get your duplicitous backside out of here before it comes, or it'll get you too. I know that, you crazy old woman. Now go back to your spirit cabinet before they wake up and realize that we're in cahoots. And you promise me when this is all over, you'll visit me, right? Yes, yes. More than they did? Yes, now go! The old ghost floated down through the floor. Just before her head was gone, she whispered, Happy Halloween. And now, here we are alone. Just us. Gracie shuddered. Did the man know she was there after all? But no. He was talking to someone else. On the other side of the room, someone she hadn't been able to see from her angle. She peeked out just a little farther as the man crossed the room, and Gracie's heart stopped for just a moment. There were two other men on the other side of the room, both sharply dressed in black suits and white shirts. One stocky and bearded, one thin and clean-shaven. Both, both were hanging upside down from the ceiling and wrapped in a thick cocoon of spider webbing. Black spiders bigger than Gracie's hand skittered back and forth across them. Below the bearded man, a top hat rested on the floor. 
Below the clean-shaven man, a bowler. It's the Brimblebanks brothers. They're real? The two weird men who everyone says live in this house? The ones nobody hardly ever sees? I can see them right now. What are they doing? I think... I think they're about to die. <laughs> if this was one of your stories, this is probably the moment when your silly robot would try to cut away to commercial break. But she can't do that anymore. Can she? <laughs> <laughs> Are you a horseman in need of a new head? Tired of trying to chop one off of random passers-by before they can escape over the bridge you can't cross for some reason? Well, come on down to Noggin's Head Shop. We've got all kind of heads for your neck-topping needs. We've got fat heads, skinny heads, heads of every color under the sun. We've got people heads, giraffes heads. We've even got robot heads. We've got head gaskets, heads of lettuce, heads of state, and airheads. Hey, man. You got any bongs? No, this is a head shop. Why do people keep asking us that? Anyway, come on down to Noggins where we'll make sure you get ahead. Noggins Head Shop, located just on the other side of the little wooden bridge over the river. Oh, damn it! Let's bring you back to full attention, why don't we? The masked man said as he approached the Brimblebanks brothers and pulled a small canister out of his jacket pocket. He uncorked it and waved it under the unconscious brothers' noses. Ugh, what is that putrid stench? Axe body spray. You monster. You again. I knew you'd try to destroy our stories again. You'll fail just like you did the last time. Have you given poor Boxbot another computer virus? No. This time I just ripped her head off and threw it downstairs. <laughs> You'll pay for that, you fiend. Hopefully, literally. Boxbot repairs are quite expensive. I think you'll find yourself a little too dead to worry about that. An ending to our story? So soon? This isn't a story. This is your life. And yes, I'm ending it now. What did we ever do to you? You disappoint me. Care to elaborate? Not really. I'm more interested in finishing this. Everything is ready. I just need a little of your blood. The adversary pulled his arm back and punched Bentley Brimblebanks hard in the face. Ow! How dare you strike my brother, you bobber! Ow! Blood dribbled from both of the brothers' mouths. Their adversary collected a little on the tips of his index fingers and then flicked them onto the ground. For the first time, Gracie noticed an elaborate symbol that had been drawn in chalk on the floor. When the blood hit it, the symbol burst into a flame. Goodbye, Bentley and Jameson. I'll be back to retrieve your corpses when this is all over. Our corpses? I didn't know they'd be collectibles. And just what is supposed to kill us? Oh, that drawing on the ground? It's an ancient and unknowable monster. In just a few minutes, it will rise up in form, alive and ravenous, and slaughter anyone it finds in his house. And so I must be off. Wait! What? Before you go... We are going to tell you a story. Yes, I'm not falling for that one again. Once upon a time. Bye. Damn. Well, I'm out of ideas. Me too. I guess we'll just settle in and wait our inevitable... Spider in my mouth. I guess we'll just settle in and await our inevitable demise. Agreed. Suppose we could find some way to pass the time. Do you want to hear a story? Oh, certainly. That'll do just the thing. Okay. 
But if this is to be our last story ever, it must be a good one. Yes, but as it's Halloween, it must also be a Halloween one. Bentley, I think it's more important at this point to really address something grand, like life and death, the nature of being. But it's Halloween! I want a Halloween story! Oh, very well. We'll try to make it both. Delightful. Once upon a time, on Halloween nights. Excellent. Grey clouds floated across a night sky, occasionally blurring the looming pumpkin-coloured moon. And through this chilling, thrilling landscape, a figure took long strides through the night. For some time, it silently traversed the darkness by way of the street, sometimes coming into terrible view under the light of a lamp, only to be shrouded again in darkness with the next long step. It moved. A purpose. A very dark purpose. A purpose for which it had been given the spark of life that very night. A spark of life that glowed inside. Inside its hollow head. And shone nakedly in the darkness. In the form of two fiery triangle-shaped eyes. And a wicked burning grin. Its limbs were tight grey-green vines, sinewy thin ropes, now hard like stone, endlessly entwined, stretching, reaching, striding through the shadows in the moonlight. Until it stopped. Before a house. It stood in the center of a backyard, amidst a garden whose beauty its vacant eyes could not see, next to a water fountain that sent water trickling down a dragon's back. The house was dark inside, its inhabitant asleep, having handed out his last bit of candy hours ago. It turned its flickering yellow gaze upward to a second-story bedroom window. It paused only a moment. And then setting its prickled vine stone limbs against the brick, it was moving up. Up the brick wall of the house, it did not slow its spidery ascent. Until it reached the dark window, its four limbs perched around the frame, its flickering grin casting just enough light through the glass to make out a shadowy version of the room. Inside, on the bed, was a small grey-haired man, sound asleep, and in front of that, a wooden easel with a blank canvas propped upon it. On the walls were dozens of paintings of people, laughing, crying, grieving, singing people. It did not take note of these nor would it have recognized them, for its flickering thoughts were single-minded. It set its viny hands against the window and slowly slid it open, one long, thin leg, and then the other long, thin leg. It stepped into the room. It looked down upon the small man, the man's face now aglow with the light from its vacant mouth and eyes. It slowly pulled the blanket off of the man, leaving him small and exposed in his light blue pajamas. Then it reached its viny hands towards the sleeping man's chest and fulfilled the first half of its dark purpose. And what was the first half of its dark purpose? To know that, we must travel back to the very beginning, to the first moments and the moments just before those. Yes, we must travel back all the way, 25 minutes. It had just been a pumpkin then, just an orange gourd like any other, but it had been alive. Alive, but not conscious. The witch had already stabbed it with a knife, gutted it of its innards, and sliced its permanent expression onto its husk. But it was not yet then what it was now. The witch set her black iron cauldron into the fireplace, and as she did so, she began her chant. Wood cut from the giving tree, now your life will give to me. All around the cauldron wait to writhe in flames, fanned by my hate. Dread Mordred's armor, flames so hot it melted down to make my pot. Now from this torch and my desire, catch the spark, Promethean fire! 
send smoke and fog into the night and serve my will, my curse, my spite. Into the cauldron I do throw ingredients, make my power grow. Platypus beak, kitten's tongue, hot air from a politician's lung. Eye of storm, mouth of river, pate of a baboon's liver. Now the making time draws near, pour in wax from devil's ear. And into this then I dip quick, angel hair braided into wick. And it too can be my handle as I forge my magic candle. The witch pulled the candle slowly from the cauldron, wax dripped into the bubbling concoction below. In the cool night air the candle quickly set and hardened. She lifted the lid atop its head and placed the candle inside. She struck a match, and when its flame met wick, life, consciousness, fire, sight, its viney limbs sprung forth from its pumpkin head. It stood and felt inside for what it might be, consciousness, but no purpose, just the witch. She meant nothing to it, and yet she was all it knew in the world. And once she had finished her chanting, she looked at him proudly, the flame flickering across her old and pallid face as it would flicker across everything it would ever see. Hello, my beautiful golem. You will achieve your dark purpose and fulfill a long-ago promise that has eaten at my heart and festered in my brain. You will bring me peace. You will bring me satisfaction. You will bring me death. You will bring me destruction. You will bring me vengeance! It felt then that these were rather high expectations. It tried to move. Its snaky, limp vine sprung into motion, and it was suddenly standing, bumping its head on the ceiling, sending a cobwebby chandelier swinging, knocking over three jars of new dyes with its left vine, and sending a rotten dodo egg rolling off another shelf with its right. Be still, said the witch calmly. And so it was still. I will tell you what to do. Not far from here, there is a house. And in that house, there is a man. A terrible man who caused me great harm and wounds that never heal. It watched her dry lips and eyes that seemed to swallow its light. I will have his heart. As I swore long ago I would. You will go there. You will take it. You will bring it to me. This is your dark purpose. As these gnarled hands fashioned you and gave you light and life, as my foul breath became yours, you know who he is. You know where to find him. She was right. It knew. It strode into the blackness and in so doing made ever so much more terrible that Halloween night. And now? It held the heart, warm in its cold hand. It had done as it was made to do. It had exceeded expectations. And it suddenly felt so terribly uncertain. Felt so terribly. Faces. On the walls. It stumbled backwards. Into the easel, falling backwards over it, clattering to the ground together. It gathered its stony vines and rose again, and again the paintings, the faces. Crying, laughing, singing, feeling. It was not made to shut its eyes. The light in these wide open triangles of flame illuminated the paintings on the walls. Girls and boys, old women and men, and each of them. Meant something. Meant so much. This one of the man at dinner, warmth, comfort, friendship. This one of the little girl looking up from a sandcastle. Pride. 
pride, pride, gratitude. This one. The heart in his hand pulsed with electricity that ran up its arms and down its legs with feelings for which it had no name. Impossible words that tried to mean everything and meant nothing bounced and echoed around the pale orange insides of his head, and he had to clutch it until he scratched at himself, struck his fingers and his eyes and his mouth, pulling and pushing. Why? Why this terrible picture, this sublime painting, this horrible beauty? He snatched it off the wall. Painting in one hand, heart in the other, he backed through the window, one thin leg at a time, and scurried down the wall and ran across the yard. The heart. The old man's heart. Not the painting. Not the painting. He had a dark purpose. The heart. Not the painting. He tried to hide the painting from the world, from himself. Scratched it along his vines, pushed it against himself, but there was nowhere for it to go. He made to stride the night, empty and terrible, but now he ran. Scared confused. His head had always burned. But now his hands did too. There was a park. A river. A graveyard. A garden. A collapse. Dark foliage. Vines mixed with grass and leaves and dirt. Moments passed. A cricket found its way inside his head and did not find its way out. And then... There was a grey figure hovering nearby, moaning in a manner that was a bit sorrowful and a tad silly. The figure tried, sounding even more ludicrous. The pumpkin in the shape of a man stood up, and the grey figure turned and saw him. Hey, I didn't know pumpkins grew with faces now. They genetically modify everything. He felt self-conscious about how he towered over her. He remembered to hide his heart and his painting behind his very thin back. Monsanto has more to answer for every day. Her eyes widened, large, grey, transparent eyes. Transparent everything, in fact. He could see right through her. You caught me practicing. It's my first Halloween as a ghost, and I don't know if you're a ghost, it's Halloween. You feel like there are certain expectations, you know? How's this sound? Boo! He backed up. Tripping over a headstone, he fell onto the equivalent of his viney posterior. <laughs> are you scared of me? Possibly yes, he thought. What struck him too as strange. She was a young girl of maybe 17. Her hair had perhaps once been dark, but now it was grey, or transparent like the rest of her. He stood back up. She held out her hand. I'm Allison. He looked at her hand and threw it, but did not take it. She frowned. You wouldn't have been able to shake my hand anyway. I guess I wanted to shock you, but you didn't just fall off the old fruit truck yesterday, I guess. Had there been a truck, he thought? Had there been a yesterday? She eyed him suspiciously. Hey, what do you got behind your back? He backed away, almost toppling over another headstone. Whoa there, don't fall again. You don't have to tell me, but you know, secrets will eat you up inside. He did not want to be eaten up inside. Did secrets eat you up inside? For that matter, did crickets eat you up inside? The thing was still jumping around in there. It made extended thoughts difficult, as his mind bounced from idea to idea. His dark purpose had nothing to do with a little ghost in a graveyard. But neither did it with the painting. He couldn't think straight. And before he knew what he was doing, he held out his hands. A painting in one... A heart in the other. Alison's eyes got even wider, and her jaw dropped, revealing the endless blackness inside her head. Oh my, that's not what I expected. She stepped closer. Is that a heart? He nodded. Her eyes got even wider as she peered at it. Is it your heart? He shook his head. At this, her eyes narrowed suspiciously again. Whose heart is it? He turned and looked back through the graveyard toward the houses. Did you take someone's heart? He nodded shyly. But why? He felt suddenly that he was not living up to expectations. Why would you take someone's heart from them? She was upset. She did not understand. He wanted to tell her, 
But it's difficult to explain having a dark purpose to someone when your mouth is a big frozen grin all the time and you don't have a tongue or any vocal cords and a cricket is jumping around inside your skull. He dropped down to his knees and held his head in his viny arms. Take a deep breath and be calm. What's this other thing? Let me see this. He scooted away from her on his knees. I'm just trying to understand. His shoulders heaved, which caused the wax in his candle to touch his wick and make a hissing sound, almost like a fiery sigh. He held out the painting, not looking at her, and certainly not again at the painting. Once was enough for one night. He wasn't ready for all of that again. Oh my, that's beautiful. That's not just... that's not just a little beautiful. She stepped closer. That is unbelievable. I was... Uh, I painted back when I could pick up paintbrushes. What beautiful lines. Did you paint this? He shook his head. The person with the heart painted this? He nodded. And that's some heart you took. You like this painting? Is that why you took it? He turned the painting a bit toward his glowing eyes. But again the feelings exploded from the heart in his hands and moved like electricity through his body. He shivered, he squirmed, he turned his head away. Wow, that painting really means something to you. Well, I don't blame you. It's beautiful. I mean, I wish I could feel it like you do. You're lucky. I saw that go right through you. It must be wonderful. He looked at her and tilted his head. Was it wonderful? I haven't felt anything in a long time. And I don't mean since I died, because that's probably what you were thinking. He tilted his head the other way. Had that been what he had been thinking? Listen, you dear thing. You need to go take that heart back to the artist that made that painting. Not just because he makes really beautiful things and won't be able to without his heart, but because, believe me, it is really awful to not have a heart. Believe me, dear, you don't want to be responsible for that. He looked at her and tilted his head questioningly. His abilities at facial expressions were limited, but he had astoundingly expressive head tilts. No, nobody took my heart. Well, not literally. Well, maybe they did. I don't know. It's just sometimes I guess something so terrible and big happens to you that your heart can't take it. Like a little heart could never feel anything that big and terrible ever, so it just stops. And then you don't feel. I mean, really don't feel. Or do you even make little tiny cuts on yourself to see the blood just so you know you're alive and- Oh, poor Allison. He covered his head with his arms and he threw his head back and showed his grinning face to the sky. To have no heart. To have to carve oneself. Then he suddenly threw his arms wide and lunged forward to hug her and went right through her and thunk his head on a gravestone. Then he rolled around in the grass because everything in him hurt, including his new head bruise. Yikes. You're an intense one. I'm sorry, I- Hey, stop rolling around. He stopped rolling and looked at her and grinned and grinned because that's all he could do. The cricket chirped inside his head. She laughed at that. <laughs> did that come from you? She laughed because of something he did. The heart in his hand sent warmth and joy through his limbs and he lunged toward her again to hug her and hid his head on the gravestone again in a new place and rolled away into the garden, clutching at his face. You gotta stop that. It's cute that you want to hug me, but quit bashing your pretty head, okay? Was he pretty? And I like talking to you. And not just because you're the only thing there is to talk to, like, ever. Okay, maybe that's partly why. She had no one to talk to. The thoughts screamed in his empty head and pulsed from his heart, or the painter's heart. He wanted to open his mouth wide and wail at the moon, but when he tried, the only sound was a cricket chirp. He turned back to her and held out his arms. Whoa, control those feelings. Stay right there, no more hugging. He beat the heart against his head. Again, again. Whoa, whoa, 
stop! You're going to hurt your head in that poor man's heart! Dear silly thing! Dear? Was he dear? He clutched his pumpkin head in his arms again. Okay, that's enough. Put the heart down. He shook his head vigorously. But then you're going to have to do something constructive with all those feelings, or you're going to tear yourself up. He gave a really big shrug. Can you paint? He looked at her blankly. You definitely can't sing. The cricket chirped. Oh, you can dance! She leapt to her feet. Do like this. And she started to leap about awkwardly. She wasn't a very good dancer. He watched her a moment. There are times when desperation makes us brave. He had felt desperate ever since he'd left the old man's house, and that made him willing to try anything. So he tried to do what she was doing, shaking his viney legs around and bobbing up and down. It was a terrible relief. He understood his desire to hug her, his feelings about the painting, his confusion about the dark purpose and the witch, the way the sky made him feel. Her laugh. The old man in his bed without a heart. His pretty head. The grass under his feet. There was so much to dance. He started a kind of wild wiggling. Allison backed up into a gravestone and threw it. She watched him. Oh, God, that's terrifying. The mad pumpkin dancer stopped and grinned at her, aghast and ashamed. No, no, don't stop. It was terrifying in a good way. Go, go. So he danced. Vines and pumpkin and flickering candlelight, moon and graves, thin and stony, heart-clutching, painting, whirling, moonlit, feeling, screaming, danced. Allison started dancing with him. She couldn't help herself. She flew and spun and swirled around him. There were other ghastly things that wanted to join, that needed to join. Deep inside the ground, bony fingers found their way into air and moonlight. But the ghost and the pumpkin couldn't stop, wouldn't stop. And soon the skeletons were all around, and they kept the time with the cracking and snapping of their bones. And some of them even started to sing. And it ended like this. Oh, something strange awakes the dead in the cemetery. There's post-cremation anticipation stirring up in rest and peace. The ghouls and goblins wait for dark, the demons hide from light. At the end of day, they'll come out to play, cause Halloween comes tonight. A necromancer cast his spell to raise at dusk his thrall. His witch's brew was made for you, and you can't get away at all. No vampires sleep the dawn awake, no werewolves are in sight. But bat and beast this eve will feast, since Halloween comes tonight. So carve your pumpkin out with care, put on your costume fast. But as you do so, be aware this day might be your last. A monster from beneath your bed is taken to the streets. He's had enough of dirty socks, and he's looking for some children to eat. While you're bobbing for apples, they're bobbing for eyes, which will eat all the stick or caramelize. They'll treat you with tricks, they'll act their surprise, since Halloween comes tonight. Wolves and spiders crawl inside from cracks within the floor. There's maggots, rats, and alley cats come to scratch at your front door. Ghosts and zombies come alive, oh what a frightful sight. 
The unholy things that sunset brings when Halloween comes to night. <laughs> The wild ghastly dancing went on, and there were things more ghastly that watched with sick, hard, phlegmy jealousy. And as the skeleton snapped and cracked joyously, as the ghost twirled and the pumpkin's light swirled and flickered, they crept across the disturbed graves, closer and closer to the dancers, peering and watching and envying. And as the dance came to its conclusion, and the pumpkin ghost and bones fell to the ground laughing and out of breath, strictly speaking they had all been out of breath long ago, one of the little green envious creatures cried. <laughs> and with a spider-like leap, snatched the very heart from the pumpkin's viney hands and scurried away and up on top of the big stone cross. It, like its friends, was a round green little thing with a tuft of black hair on top and a nose that was almost as long and as thin as its short but spindly arms and legs. It was sitting and looking at them, laughing its little fool head off. <laughs> hey! The cricket chirped. Hobgoblins, said Allison. Terrible little monsters. Terrible little monsters! <laughs> she started marching over to the cross gravestone. Give it back! The hobgoblin upon the cross seemed to bat its hairy lashes. You're like squishy thing? The hobgoblin held out the heart to her with a sweet, apologetic face but then squeezed it like a stuffed bear. My toot toot! Mine! It's not your toot toot. The hobgoblin started shrieking in laughter. <laughs> and then in terror. <laughs> and then sorrow. <laughs> it shrieked in gulping little confused sobs. <laughs> what a piece of work is me. Bubbles, ephemeral, and so transparent. I must parry. The stink of your glands, the venom in my darkest place. What? What indeed? When the hobgoblin threw its arms up in misery, another one of the round green little monsters grabbed the heart out of its hand and leapt down off the cross to the ground. The first hobgoblin, now heartless, snarled its indignation at the theft and then went back to laughing gleefully. <laughs> the hobgoblin that had stolen the heart, meanwhile, had stopped running and was staring thoughtfully forward. It sighed then and sat down in the grass. It loudly farted. Your memory leaves my body like a gas. It sighed again, a melancholy sigh. It took a deep breath for an even deeper expression of its rectal ennui. And when it was tackled by a third hobgoblin who wrestled the heart away from it. Stop it, give it back, it's not yours. The third hobgoblin noticed the first hobgoblin sitting on top of the cross and in a few quick leaps was sitting next to it clutching at it and trying to do something that looked like a sort of slimy cuddling. I've done nothing but scuffle in the dirt until this moment. All has brought me here to you. The first hobgoblin started screaming. <coughs> the third hobgoblin started smooching. <coughs> the first hobgoblin started screaming louder. You were pacing me like a fierce one of terror. You might never leave me. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. The Don't first leave goblin. Me. Don't leave Gentlemen. Me. Don't Gentlemen! The first goblin stopped screaming long enough to bite the third goblin hard. <laughs> then both were tackled by the second goblin, who was screaming with rage, and the three of them toppled to the grass in a howling, smooching, struggling ball. <laughs> the 
ran up to the hissing, howling little mess and looked down at it. Occasionally, she could see the heart amidst the green and black and slime, but unable to touch anything. She could only watch the spitting little ball of hobgoblin writhe. She turned around to look for the pumpkin. It was standing impassively and watching. Hey, come here! The ghost was yelling at him. It was distracting, because he was trying to remember what he was here for. You can't let those gross little things have that poor man's heart. Ah, yes. His dark purpose. He stalked over to Allison in three easy strides, picked up one of the writhing, laughing hobgoblins off the ground, and brought it down on the edge of a gravestone with a wet squish and a crunch. The laughter abruptly stopped. Green and brown and yellow juices ran down the face of the stone. The other two hobgoblins had stopped struggling and were looking at up at him quietly. The one that was holding nothing turned and ran into the underbrush, shrieking wildly. But the hobgoblin that was holding the heart took a step towards the wet, dripping mess that was once his compatriot. It sniffed once through its long nose. It crept a little closer to the juicy, smashed hobgoblin corpse. It blinked. It looked up at the pumpkin. Then at Allison. Tears formed in its filmy black eyes and started to run down its face. The pumpkin reached down and snatched the heart out of its hands. At that, the hobgoblin ran screeching into the underbrush. And the cricket in the pumpkin's head threw up. He looked at Allison, grinning horribly. She looked back at him, horrified. He saw her expectations for him drop into the earth, and he found that once again that mattered to him immeasurably, but that only a moment ago she had not mattered at all, nor had the clouds drifting across the sky, or the painter in his bed, or the feel of the autumn air, or the life of the goblin been destroyed. He looked down at the heart in his hand. I see now, Allison said. That is what you are without the heart. The pumpkin cradled the heart to his chest then and bent his head over it. He slumped down the gravestone nearest him and wrapped himself around the heart, rocking a bit and shaking. Poor thing. You feel so much or you feel nothing at all. She was right. It was easier not to feel anything, but... You're so much more beautiful like this. He turned his burning head up at her, still folded over the heart. Do you see now? What it means to have one's heart stolen? Do you understand? He shook his head, confused. What you did to the painter. The fire flickered behind his eyes dimly, and then suddenly flared for a brief moment. He stood up, towering over her once again, and then with three long steps, he disappeared into the night. And then he was once again standing in the beautiful garden with the dragon fountain and the trickle of water, and this time all of it seemed so painfully beautiful. He looked up at the dark window and took one of his long strides towards it. When suddenly, there was the witch standing between him and the house. Dash it, old Bentley. I don't think we're going to be able to finish this story. Why not? Well, the flames on the drawing on the floor have gone out. Soon, some unknowable terror will rise and slaughter us both and any other living thing in the house. Even the plants? I suppose that depends how literally it takes the spell. I hope the cat is outside. If only we could reach the drawing. I think we could avoid all this unpleasantness. How so, Brother Jameson? Well, it's still mostly chalk, isn't it? We could just erase it. Oh, we could just erase it. Good job being brave, Duncan. Ah, children! You screamed louder about them than our adversary or the forthcoming monster. Yes, and? Children, please. If you could erase the drawing of the monster below us, 
I don't think there's time to erase it all, but... Gracie and Duncan quickly erased the drawing of the creature's mouth using Duncan's cape. And then when it was gone, Gracie grabbed the chalk and replaced it with half of a circle turned up toward the monster's eyes. A huge benign smile. Just as she finished, the creature popped forth from the floor, tentacles wriggling in every direction, a multitude of eyes on its blobby body. Oh God, it's horrible! It's terrifying! It has a rather goofy grin on its face. Hi guys, how's it going? Happy Halloween! Hello. Do me a good little unknowable terror and cut us down, could you? Uh, 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 not yet. I want to hear how the story ends. Yeah, me too. Me three! Oh, very well. Children, cuddle up in the wriggling tentacles of the beast summoned from the darkest corners of the human psyche, and we'll tell you how it ends. Yay! Yay! Now, where were we? Standing between the pumpkin and the painter's house was the witch. You! Where have you been? You dare defy your creator? You were to fetch the heart and bring it to me! The pumpkin could not speak. He could only grin. He did not know what to do. But he could not keep this heart, and he could not give it to her. And so he tried to step around her. Stop! Bellowed the witch, and the pumpkin found that he had stopped. That his vines had stopped, though he had not asked them to. You are mine, thing. Have you forgotten why you exist? Have you forgotten your dark purpose? The pumpkin looked at the heart. He looked at her. He could not resist. It was hers. But if only she understood. How could he explain to her? How could he tell her about Allison and dancing and skeleton bands? How could he tell her about grief and art? How could he tell her about guilt? Well, what are you waiting for? So he did the only thing he could think to do. He held up the painting, the thing that had stirred up the painter's heart more than anything else. The thing that had filled him with his first tastes of joy and grief, desire and loss. Maybe if the witch looked at the painting too. She looked at it. And grimaced in disdain. And then the grimace and the disdain fell from her face. Where did you, where did you get that? The pumpkin pointed with the hand holding the heart up at the window. His? He... He... Painted me? The pumpkin grinned, but inside he was shocked. Her? This horrible creature that had created him? He looked at the painting. Was this young woman, this beautiful spirit who inspired such feeling in the heart he was holding? It couldn't be. No! And she grasped for the painting. No! The pumpkin held it above her, out of her reach. He looked at it again. But he could not see the witch there. And then something occurred to him. He stopped looking with his vacant candlelight eyes. He looked with his heart. With the painter's heart. With his heart. And he saw the truth. So very clearly. He knelt down slowly. And he pressed the painting into the old witch's chest. She clutched at it. He held the warm heart up in front of her. He gestured at the painting. And he gestured at the heart. And her face began to crack. And then he turned from her, for she was too lost to stop him now. And he scaled the wall of the house and climbed into the old man's room. As he stepped into the room, he heard the sound of a strangled cry below. He walked silently back to the old man's bed, his inert form, just as he had left him. And he pressed the heart to the man's chest. 
But then he felt the cold. The deathly cold of the painter's body. And the heart would not return to its place. He placed it where he belonged. He jiggled it. He shook it. He shook the man. He shook the bed. He would have screamed if he could make a noise. But nothing could change it. The painter was dead. Pumpkin fell to his knees and tore at his chest and ripped some of the orange off of his face. He clawed at the painter. Then he had an idea and he took off the top of his own head, reached inside and removed his candle. His face, his head, his skull going dark and cold for the first time since he had awoken. He pressed the candle into the old man's face. He would give him his spark of life. He would bring him back if he could find a hole to stick the candle in. He pulled the man's mouth open and jabbed the candle inside. No! No! Nothing! No! The man was dead. The pumpkin raised one of his viny hands in the air, determined to bring it down hard on the candle and drive it into the man's skull when he felt a cold, claw-like grasp on his arm and irresistible words spoken. Stop now! Let him be. The pumpkin let go of the candle, lowered his arm, and backed away from the bed. The witch removed the candle from the painter's mouth. She turned to the pumpkin. Kneel, she said. The pumpkin kneeled. The witch opened the pumpkin's head and put the candle back inside of him, and his eyes and mouth were once again aflame. I release you from my control. I release you from your purpose. Peppo, Pepon. My spirit, Pumpkin. Thank you. Now leave me be. Leave me be. Be gone. This is my last command. Pippo Pippon, for that was now his name, could not resist. He went back to the window. He started to climb out. He looked back one more time to see the witch kneeling beside the bed of the painter, clutching the painting to her breast. And then he was down in the yard again. He was still holding the heart. The witch had not asked for it. The painter could not take it back. He was still holding the heart. And then he was running, across yards and fences, down streets, past houses, back to the graveyard. Where else could he go? His heart was aflame with all the new feelings he had just seen and felt. The painter might be dead, but his heart in people's hand had felt all that had just occurred. It was too much. Peppa was too new to feel all these things. He'd only just fallen off the fruit truck. He couldn't handle the feelings exploding through him. The painter's feelings. His feelings. The painter's feelings. His! He ran and he ran through the yards and the garden and the graveyard until... There was Allison. Where he had left her. Oh no. She said. He nodded. He nodded and nodded. He's gone? It didn't work? You tried? He nodded and nodded. How could he tell her everything that had happened? About the witch? About the painter? About their long-ago love that had never died. About the death that he had maybe caused. About being set free. About guilt and terror and elation and sorrow. Dance it! She yelled, so he did. And it was terrifying. Terrifying. Dance. The end. What? What do you mean, what? What happened after that? After he danced? I hate children. Always wanting to know what happened next. There's always something next, child. Stories go on forever. You don't have to tell us forever. Just tell me five more minutes. Oh, all right. Well, it took Pepo Pipon a long time to dance all that feeling out of himself. But eventually, he did. More or less. As the witch and the painter had learned, some things you spend your whole life painting and dancing. Or storytelling. 
or burying and hiding, but either way, they're never really gone. So Pippal Pippon still had a lot of feeling to carry around with him. Which meant there was nothing to do but make art out of it. And Pippal had the perfect heart for that. And everywhere that Pippal went, especially around Halloween, people tended to make terrible, frightening, macabre, dark, beautiful art. Oh no, the adversary returns. Quick, get us down. There's no time. Unknowable terror. Rip him to pieces. Oh, I just couldn't. I'm too kind and gentle. Time to collect my favorite corpses. What the... What's going on here? You! You were supposed to kill them! Everybody stop telling me how to live my life! Jeez, I can't even... Fine. We'll do this my way after all. The adversary pulled a gun out of his coat. But before he could aim at a black streak shot from the shadows in the corner of the room, leapt up onto the unknowable terror, and used his jiggly flesh to springboard toward the adversary's face. Midnight! It was the black cat that the children had followed in the door earlier. It scored a direct hit into the adversary's face and began clawing violently. The cat dropped to the floor with one freshly plucked eyeball, still attached to her left forepaw. I told you we were right not to get her declawed. Point conceded. The adversary dropped his gun to the floor where the unknowable terror promptly tossed it out the window. Yucky. I'll get you for this, all of you, Bentley, Jameson, and your damnable cat. <coughs> and you, unknowable terror. <coughs> and you, two kids, whoever you are. Beat it, Cyclops. Yes, well you still have one eye left to hold the monocle you'll need one day when your vision inevitably declines. Oh, you haven't heard the last of me. Clutching his bleeding eye socket, the adversary turned and quickly departed Brimblebank's manor for pots unknown. The kids and the unknowable terror soon helped the brothers down and the unknowable terror ate all of the spiders. <laughs> they make my tummy dumb tickle. Poor Voxbot. She'll be okay. He just ripped her head off. I don't suspect it'll take much more than duct tape to fix her. It's good to have a friend you know can always be repaired. And now, for you two. Us? Yes. You broke into our house, but you also saved our lives. Hmm. We only broke into your house because you came to trick or treat, and we didn't get any treats. Well, it is Halloween, and we didn't give them any treats. It's a social contract after all, Jameson. Trick or treat aren't just words that don't mean anything. I know that. Well, kids, we owe you a treat. Should we give them Midnight's treat? No, she's still enjoying it. And she definitely earned that, too. Well, then, a party in their honor. A Halloween party! Yes, and we can summon the ghosts of all kinds of spooky dead celebrities. Bella Lugosi, Vincent Price, Jack Nicholson. I don't think Nicholson is dead. Well, we'll just invite him, then. And we can invite some real monsters. Vampires, zombies, witches. Brilliant. Uh, I don't want that. It's okay. I'm sure they've all eaten by now. Don't be a baby, Duncan. Yes, Duncan, don't be a baby. And you two will need some costumes. But we are wearing costumes. Yes. I'm dressed up as my brother Bentley. And I'm dressed up as my brother Jameson. But you're dressed the same. No, no. See, normally I wear the bowler hat where he normally is. That's stupid. I told you it was stupid. Let's just get ready for the party. Party!
Smashing party, Brindle Banks brothers. Thank you, Ghost of Vincent Price. It's in honor of these random kids that saved our lives. Grayson and Dunkey. Gracie and Duncan. Whatever. Hello, boys. Hello, Ghost of Boris Karloff. Why does your cat have an eyeball in its mouth? Midnight, stop playing with that thing and eat it already. Hmm, it feels like everything's over already, doesn't it? It does. I wonder why Voxbot isn't reading the closing credits yet. Oh, that's right. She had her head violently torn off. Oh, right. Silly me. Well then, who's going to read the closing credits? I'll do it. Thank you, Ghost of Peter Laurie. You have been listening to the inscrutable Brindlebanks Brothers Electronic Storytime Halloween Special Baby and Monsters, written by Brody H. Brocky and Justin Vidovic, and starring Brody H. Brocky as Bentley Brimblebanks and Justin Vidovic as Jameson Brimblebanks. This month's musical guest was Chris Thomas with the song Halloween Comes Tonight from his album The Dark Rift. Hear more of this terrifying tunes at www.musicforhaunts.com. This episode's story was brought to life <laughs> by the talents of Kathy Waugh as the narrator, Jared Hoffert as the adversary, Leah Bauer as Allison, Audrey Waugh as Gracie, Connor Casey as Duncan, Scott Longfrey as the unknowable terror, the hobgoblin, and Vincent Price, Colleen Stano Williams as the witch, Heather Wing as Aunt Zilla, Justin Vidovic as a hobgoblin, Mitchell Ralston as Boris Karloff, and Brody H. Brocky as Peter Laurie. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm Peter Laurie. <laughs> this episode's commercial, Noggin's Head Shop, was written by Brody H. Brocky and starred Brocky and Justin Vidovic. <laughs> If you want to hear the Brimblebanks brothers' first encounter with the adversary, check out episode 5, The Voxbot's Dream of Electric Bleeps, still available on iTunes and at brimblebanksbrothers.com, <laughs> just like all of our old stories. If you enjoy our stories, why not leave a rating or review on iTunes, or write us at brimblebanksbrothers at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you <laughs> until next time this is the ghost of Peter Laurie for the Brimblebanks brothers saying happy Halloween <laughs> and that was the story of my favorite Halloween and how your father and I saved the lives of the Brimblebanks brothers. Wow, you were really there in Brimblebanks Manor, Aunt Gracie. Indeed I was. And you met Bentley and Jameson? I certainly did. In Midnight in Voxbot 6000? Well, this was back when it was still the Voxbot 5000, before the terrible incident after which she could not be repaired. Wow. And are you feeling more brave about tonight, Van? Yes, Aunt Gracie. Good, then let's go trick-or-treating. <laughs>